0: Today on Ag News Daily,
1: Uh, and that's a growing segment. It's been growing for decades, and it's continuing to grow. And roughly sixty percent of all farmland is operated by somebody who doesn't own that farmland.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing today?
2: I am doing fantastic, Delaney Hall. I tell you what, I just had one of the much-discussed chicken sandwiches from Popeye's, and it was good.
0: Oh, yeah, the big Popeye's versus chicken debate, or Chick-fil-A debate, huh?
2: Exactly, exactly. I have not had Chick-fil-A's yet, but the Popeye's one, uh, you know. Apparently in Chicago, some guy stabbed another guy over it. Oh. that good. Wow. But uh, it was uh, pretty tasty. You know, they they took a... Took some yard bird made her taste pretty darn good.
0: <laughs> well, people will probably be enjoying some yard bird later this week with Thanksgiving celebrations right around the corner.
2: Absolutely, which is why we are only going to be on the air tomorrow. We'll be taking a break Thursday and Friday of this week. So, Delaney, let's get to the news. What is some of the headlines that you're watching?
0: <laughs> well, Mike, I think we ought to kick it off here with the corn harvest and soybean harvest reports that came out yesterday afternoon. According to USDA's latest crop progress report, we have seen about 85% of the nation's corn crop harvested, with North Dakota, really the state that is furthest behind, with only 30% of their corn crop harvest complete, followed by Michigan at 56% and Wisconsin at 57%. But I state's on average have an 86% completion rate. And I don't have soybean harvest numbers up in front of me, but I'm assuming they're done or pretty close to done.
2: Yeah, yeah the soybean harvest uh, moved up only 3% this last week. It finished up at 94%. And let's see, one of the big states that are jumping out, um, Michigan and Wisconsin are the slowest. They're currently at 80 and 82% harvested versus their five-year average at 94 and 97%. And it's kind of terrible. Michigan and Wisconsin are two of the states that are supposed to be impacted by this heavy snowstorm event that is uh, kind of uh, gearing up right now over at Nebraska, Delaney.
0: Yeah, I looked at the radar earlier today, and it was just... The cell cloud or the snow cell cloud looked like it was stretching from about Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Pueblo, Colorado. Pretty long stretch there.
2: Yeah, very long stretch. It looks like you might be getting some rain right now, Delaney.
0: Not yet. I just looked out my window. Not yet, but it's getting pretty dark outside. So.
2: Well, I think it's coming. I think this is a big snowstorm that's going to really hamper the remainder of harvest, particularly across that hard-hit area of southeast South Dakota. Yes. Uh, Folks that got crops in last spring are really struggling to get crops out, as we talked about earlier, I guess, yesterday.
0: Yes, indeed, Mike. But uh, that's part of the news going on this week. I actually have quite a bit of news related mostly to trade today, and I want to kick it off with another headline I saw that came across our inboxes late yesterday afternoon. And looking at U.S. sugar We discussed on the podcast, I believe it was last week or two weeks ago, that the U.S. is kind of gearing up to be in maybe a sugar deficit here. And there were rumors that Mexico would be the one to fill that shortage. And it does appear that the USDA has confirmed the imports of an additional 100,000 tons of refined Mexican sugar to compensate for those shortages in U.S. production. So you shouldn't see your sugar prices Change too much at the grocery store now that we have the ability to um, make up for some of those losses. But really, like, like you've said before, Mike, it's because of this year's crazy weather patterns that so many folks, primarily in the Red River Valley in North Dakota and Minnesota, have not been able to get out their full sugar beet harvest.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was talking to to Don Wick of the Red River Farm Network earlier today on This Week in Agribusiness. We taped a little earlier than usual because of the Thanksgiving holiday. And he was saying, I mean, this is, this is devastating for a lot of uh, North Dakota producers in particular who had to leave as much as 30% of their uh, sugar beets out in the fields, and they're just out there rotting.
0: What does rotten sugar beet smell like, or what does that well, look like?
2: You know, they're underground, so I imagine that uh, as cold as it's been, they might be okay, smell-wise.
0: Okay. Oh, that's true. I guess that they are underground. You're right. I've never really seen a sugar beet in real life, I don't think. I've just seen pictures.
2: like you buried a football. Got it. Um, I've got some trade news. While we're on that topic, the EU plans to allow more beef at imports into those countries. We talked about this a couple – oh, gosh, it's probably been two months ago. This was initially discussed, but uh, now it has officially been backed by EU lawmakers, and uh, they expect this to – you know, kind of make things a little bit easier in negotiations between President Donald Trump, who wants to put a tariff on European Union-made cars, and the EU. Basically, the International Trade Committee of the EU voted 26 to 7 for an agreement that will see U.S. farmers take up the majority of an existing 45,000-ton allotment. Before, we just had a small sliver of it, and the rest was split between uh, Canada, Australia, I forget the other countries, But uh, Argentina, maybe in Brazil. And now we get the bulk of that 45,000 tons, which should help beef exports um, ship over there across the pond.
0: Well, that is good news for beef exports. But I have some not so great news for soybean exports. According to traders on Monday, Chinese buyers scooped up at least 20 different cargoes of Brazilian soybeans last week due to the uncertainty remaining in the U.S.-Chinese trade deal. And so we've seen them purchase about 30 cargoes here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the purchases were for delivery when the new harvest hits the market early next year. And some cargoes are also booked. We're also booked between the U.S. and Argentina. So we're actually seeing some pickup there. Heading U.S. soybeans heading to Argentina, but it does seem that China continues to turn to those two countries to buy U.S. soybeans as opposed to the U.S.?
2: Yes, it does. You know, and it, I think that's still a big difference is the currency of valuations of those South American countries just make them a little bit more competitive. Although today, we definitely got more competitive with the drop in soybean prices.
0: That we did, Mike. That we did. And, well, uh
2: Oh, go ahead,
0: Lainey. Well, I was just going to say the other thing. I thought this was interesting. We saw a new analysis put together by Iowa State University economist Dermot Hayes, who we've had on the podcast before he was drafted by the National Pork Producers Council to put together this economic analysis to look at specifically the pork industry and how that could be affected in a positive way once a U.S.-Chinese agreement is reached. He said, this analysis showed that once a trade agreement is reached and it eliminates the Chinese current 72% tariffs on U.S. pork, we could see the trade deficit drop by nearly 6% and generate about 184,000 new American jobs over the next
2: decade. Oh, wow. Well, that would be some good news. That would be. Well, we got news out of Canada that is not such great news for um, a lot of folks who are trying to put their fertilizer plans in place. We spoke yesterday about the strike going on on Canadian national uh, railways uh, with their yard workers and conductors going on strike demanding better working environments. Well, that means that Nutrient, the world's largest fertilizer company, said they are shutting their largest potash mine because they can no longer ship the product out. Um, they export this potash from a terminal on the East Coast through their joint, through a jointly owned logistics company called CanPotex. And, uh, basically they're saying that They can't get the product there, and they're going to shut it for at least two weeks starting on December 2nd. This is a mine that produces 4.5 million tons of potash a year. The chief executive of Nutrien, Chuck Magro, said, quote, it is extremely disappointing that in a year when the agricultural sector has been severely impacted by poor weather and trade disputes, the CN strike will add further hardship to the Canadian agriculture industry. And I'm guessing a lot of folks in the industry agree with him.
0: I'm guessing you're right, Mike.
2: Yes, ma'am. Well, Delaney, what other news do you have for us today?
0: I think the only other piece of news I had for today as we uh, jump over to talk about commodity markets was just the crazy day that we had yesterday in the live cattle complex, especially in the futures markets. We saw U.S. live cattle futures climb to a seven-month high yesterday. And it's uh, largely speculated that it was supported by the Catalan feed report that we got on Friday, but we saw it settle up a dollar thirty at one twenty five fifteen, which is the first time we have seen that number since April twenty third. I, I hadn't realized it had been quite that long since we'd seen those numbers.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see that market pushing up, continuing to try and find new highs. That is definitely what the the live the, the cattle trade in particular needs. We bounced up against some contract highs in the uh, boy February contract in live cattle, and uh closed just shy of it. So we'll have to see where this market decides to go tomorrow. But domestic demand has been phenomenal. Get out there, folks, and cook up a nice prime rib for Thanksgiving.
0: Well, what if we have some turkey producers that really would like you to eat a turkey this Thanksgiving, Mike?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's fair to eat both.
0: <laughs> I do, too. You can never I'll have too both, much protein. Anyway.
2: Provide some op- options for people. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have a vegan at your table, then don't oh, serve them anything.
0: They're probably not invited to my Thanksgiving.
2: Right. Yeah, mine either.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, Delaney How Well, I tell you what, that wraps up the rest of my news. Your news is gone. Let's jump in and see where the markets close. What do you say?
0: Well, let's do it.
2: All right, folks. And we got weakness in the grain complex today. December corn was down three cents at 367 and a half. The March contract down two and a half to finish the day at 378 and a quarter. In soybeans, the January contract dropped eight and a quarter cents to finish at 884 and a quarter. March down eight and a quarter as well. well, Closed the day at 898 and three quarters. Looking at Chicago wheat again, weakness not nearly as severe as in the corn market. The December contract was down three quarters of a cent at 530 and a quarter. The March contract down two to close the day at 531 even. Looking over at the world of livestock strength again today in live cattle as we were just discussing, the December contract was up 70 cents, finished at 12040, February up 52 and a half, closed the day at 1256750. And in feeders, we've got some weakness today. The January contract was down 35 cents at 1416250, the March down 12 and a half, finished the day at 1422250. And in lean hogs, mixed trade as the December contract was down 20 cents at 60, 82. 50. February up 7.5, closed the day at 67, 82. And a half. Looking over at the world of class three milk, we've got uh, November contract dropped 2 cents at 20.34. The December big move to the upside, up 31 cents on the day, finished at 19.10. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for this week's Tech Tuesday?
0: Well, Mike, this is loosely a technology company, but I think it's something that's going to be very important for farmers, especially as we continue to see more people not owning ground, but turning to cash rent or renting farm ground. And it's a new company called Farm Op Capital that lets you leverage that rented ground as opposed to having hard assets. So for today's Tech Tuesday interview, I'm gonna turn it over to my conversation with Bill York, the CEO and Chief Credit Officer for Farm Op Capital.
1: We service from uh, North Dakota to Mississippi and Ohio to Texas. Um, the segment that we're focusing on is the, uh, largely it's a segment of farmers that rent more land than they own. Uh, and that 's a growing segment it 's been growing for decades and it 's continuing to grow and roughly sixty percent of all farmland is operated by somebody who doesn 't own that farmland. The challenge is that traditional lending sources tend to have a model that require equity in real estate as the real foundation and we we're servicing this this segment of um, really solid farmers who have good production history. Um, or manage their operation with uh, some handicap in that they don't have the the same access to traditional funding that other farmers may have. So we're looking at the farmers with great production history, great risk management, um, but have been limited in in how effective they can be in their purchasing strategy because they don't have the operating capital.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I think there are so many, it seems like that's the trend for the industry now, is that we're switching to seeing more people renting ground as opposed to owning it for family purposes or whatever. But how do you go about then securing the funding for those types of farms since they don't have those hard assets to put up?
1: Yeah, we're we're looking at their ability to produce the crop uh, and their risk management, including crop insurance. So crop insurance is an important part of our equation. uh, But... uh, all repayment is based on your ability to generate a profit Um and these farmers have demonstrated that even though uh... they haven't been able to purchase as efficiently as they they could have So we would uh... we will fund up to a hundred percent of their operating costs um, we are looking at operating extending operating loans right now for the twenty twenty season so so that they have access to capital early they are independent they can pick what suppliers they want to uh, to use Uh, they're not tied because that supplier provided the funding Uh, and they can pick the timing they can lock in prices and that adds to their efficiency we're excited Uh, we just recently announced that blackstone finance of america is a took a minor equity interest in the company uh, so very strong, you know, obviously equity, uh, uh, investment company that's looking at this segment as it's going to grow and one that, uh, uh, really, uh, can expand, uh, because of the, availability of additional capital.
0: So, pardon my bluntness, but are you betting on blue sky and these farmers in this case?
1: Um, but we're looking, these farmers, their, their scale is increasing. Uh, they're, you know, part of their model requires them to get more efficient. Part of more, being more efficient is to be, to rent more land. Uh, and, uh, they're not forced in the traditional, uh, farm structure, they would, you know, take their excess capital and buy land. Which you know, for that, for those farmers, that that model it works very well. That's what they want to do, and that, that is fine. Uh, but more and more today's farmer is not following that model. It's a slow model to build, you know, to build equity, uh, and uh, there's little question that this segment will, will continue to grow. Uh, and we're we're excited about serving this segment, and we're focused only on the operating model. So there's great traditional lending sources that will continue to, you know, whether that's the Farm Credit System, ag banks, uh, to provide funding for their chattel, you know, their equipment, for their real estate, and so forth. Uh, we feel that we fit this segment very well in partner with the existing farm uh, funding structure that's there.
0: Are interest rates and things like that comparable to other lenders?
1: Yeah, you know our interest rates vary as as all lender interest rates vary, and, and for uh, considerable risk, we're we're very competitive from an interest rate standpoint.
0: So switching tracks a little bit here, tell me about the geographic footprint that you guys cover and how you meet the needs of those producers in those areas.
1: Yeah, we're uh, uh, and maybe a little to backtrack a little bit my history. Uh, I've forty years in funding in in. Uh, uh, Primarily with the farm credit system. I just recently retired as the CEO of Agribank, which is the 15 states in the in the Midwest. So we've we've added a few more states from that, that footprint. Uh, and clearly, uh, as we look at crops um, and we look at operating needs, this you know segment of the country is, is probably the one that has the most demand right now. So we're 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 staying with annual crops. And providing funding sources there. Um, so, uh, you know, certainly corn, soybeans, wheat has been our, our foundation in the first year, but cotton, rice, and, and other crops we're adding uh, right now.
0: So, Bill, a lot of normal or traditional lenders like Farm Credit Services or your local bank or whatever, those, those people are taking a very hands on approach with the people that they're lending to. How does FarmOp compare to that?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to, uh, to understand the operation of the, of the farm. Uh, we want to stay involved, but not intrusive. We're looking at their technology and leveraging technology to, to monitor, uh, not really monitor, to, but to give feedback to us on how the operation is going. So uh, we require field boundaries for all the loans that we make. Uh, so we'll be able to see their crop plans. We'll be able to see what's event- what is planted. Uh, we'll also use the field boundaries to uh, monitor the crop uh, from a satellite standpoint so that we can see if there's, there's challenges going on. Uh, the, the farmer will o- obviously know that as well, so we can have early discussions about how to manage the crop, the marketing going forward. So uh, that's an important part of what we do. Uh, we're not a technology company, but we do leverage existing technology, and it's an important part of our value proposition.
0: And I think one other important piece to note is that you worked very closely within the traditional lending firms for a long time, so it's not like you're just coming into this willy-nilly.
1: Yeah, I I spent 25 years with the Farm Credit System, most recently as the CEO of Agribank and the chairman of the system's risk management committee. So I was directly involved in setting, you know, underwriting standards for the Farm Credit System, and I have great uh... respect for the farm credit system they do a great job in what they're doing we're just uh... Positioned a little bit differently to supplement uh... specifically for this segment of farmer uh... so that we can the farmers can be successful and we could co- collectively be successful uh... whether that's you know the farm credit system obviously the farmer you know the uh... You know the producer out there, uh, and we think farm op capital can provide an important tool as, as well
0: so you you keep mentioning here just the that you see that this is the way that the industry is changing to maybe needing a model like this. Do you see the more mainstream groups like farm credit systems or any of those folks switching to this type of model in the near future
1: yeah it's hard to say where the where the future is going. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, this, you know this advance rate this creativity um, creates some concerns for traditional regulators as well as the companies themselves uh, so I think as it's demonstrated uh, to be successful and I have no doubt about that uh, that, that there will be uh, others that you know determine you know competition is always is good and, and so forth but uh, I think the uh, the historic, historic performance of traditional banks and the farm credit system to provide that hard collateral lending has been very good. It's a very good foundation, but the operating loans, especially for the operations of the scale we're talking about and the rented land versus owned, uh, makes it very difficult for them to, to be, participate in this marketplace. And quite frankly, there's many of them that that are excited to have uh, another lender step in to take this component of the risk.
0: And just this year in particular has been a really unusual one with wet weather. We're in the continued trade difficulties with multiple nations. Uh, Do you see that changing the way that you're working with producers this year or will in the future?
1: Well, I think, yeah, this year provided a a number of uh, opportunities to take a look at some of the stresses that produce could be impacted on our farmers, and it helped uh, us evaluate the model that we, that we have. Um, but I do think that there are, uh, you know, the effective farmer is going to, number one, be efficient. They're gonna have risk mitigation strategies in place, and that's one of the things that we're looking at, uh, whether that's crop insurance, whether that's a, an effective marketing plan. Those are all things that, that we look at and are important for us in terms of our underwrite. So the tools will continue to evolve, the technology will continue to evolve, uh, the lenders will need to stay current with that to be able to provide the, the capital needs for the farmers, especially in this segment, uh, which you know, they don't have a huge uh, pile of assets that they can rely on for additional collateral.
0: And you mentioned that you were already gearing up for the 2020 year. How can producers that are listening find applications or find somebody else that can explain a little bit more to them if they've got questions?
1: Yeah, if you go to farmopcapital farmop uh, excuse me farmop.com um you can uh, you know what you know we'll, somebody will get back to you we have regional uh Sales managers that can have the conversation and talk about how we may fit in, in your operation, uh, what we're looking for in order to move forward. I would say that we're funding now for the 2020 crop year. Uh, so it's important to get, uh, to get started and to get uh, get approved so that you can have the capital you need on a timely basis to, to really optimize your operation.
0: Oh, Bill, thank you so much for filling us in about op cap- Capital.
1: Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to visit.
0: Well, again, a big thank you there to Bill. It was great to connect with him down at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Convention. But, folks, if you want to connect with us over the next couple of days or anytime, really, you can find us on social media at AgNewsDaily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can go back and listen to any of our past episodes. AgNewsDaily.com will take you right there to what you want to hear. Mike, with that, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.